Welcome to the Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. I'm joined this week on the Culture Builders podcast by Greg Orm. I had the real pleasure recently to review his latest or his second book and found it an amazing read. I'll let Greg explain more about the book in a moment. But first of all, Greg, hello. Good to have you here. Uh, hello, Chris. I'm, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Now, Greg, I know who you are, but for our listeners, just fill in the gap. Tell us about yourself. Uh, sure. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I am a leadership development uh, expert and author and speaker. My most recent book, the one you just mentioned, is called The Human Edge. I'm really interested in the impact of technology on the workplace and on human beings and how we respond to be successful in this digital disrupted age. So all the things I do around that are speaking, as I said, and writing, um, being on podcasts, but also working directly with organizations to help the leaders to change their behaviors. So I deliver workshops and uh, programs with London Business School and BMW and all sorts of organizations around the world. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, I said I reviewed your book. It it starts off, it's quite a scary book, really, isn't it? Because what it it quite quickly shows you is just how pervasive AI is and what what made you write it it's a great book but there must have been something that you thought that needs putting pen to paper about I was delivering a speech actually at an alumni event at London Business School on the impact of technology on what's become this well-known phrase you know the the future of work the, the workplace of the future and I would, I'd been talking a little bit about artificial intelligence, although, Chris, I'm not a technologist. I'm someone who's interested in the impact of technology on people and, and workplaces. And after I'd finished, a woman CEO, a rather senior person from a large organization, came up to me and said, I'm really interested in the impact of artificial intelligence on organizations. But also, what about me? What skills and capabilities do I need to future proof my career going forward? And I, she, she also had two daughters and she said, well, and what about my, my kids? What do they need to study? What do they need to be good at? Because the world is clearly changing and, and we want to be ahead of it. And I remember not really having a very good answer to that question. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, wow, that's a really interesting question. And and so the journey of research and curiosity led to the writing of The Human Edge, which is effectively my advice to both people in jobs and who are entering jobs on what, what I call the superpowers, the human superpowers they need to differentiate themselves from the machines that now surround us. You end there on quite a, a, a serious tone in terms of... of differentiating human from AI. Are we seeing a bad thing? Is it a good thing or is it not that simple? Well, I think AI like, is a powerful technology. You know, I, I see it, um, economists call it a general purpose technology, you know, in 
if you go back to the late 1700s, early 1800s, we had steam <laughs> and that effectively took our arms and legs out of the work process in many spheres. And then we had electricity, with, which accelerated that. And these are all platforms. And then we had effectively computing, which did the same thing. I think the GPT, the general purpose technology of our era, is artificial intelligence. And, and by that, I mean it's a platform for many, many other things, autonomous driving, automation, cognitive automation, all sorts of things, and anything that's that powerful has a light and a dark side uh, and so a lot of the headlines that have been around artificial intelligence have been man versus machine or person versus machine and you know it's going to go through all the jobs and take all the jobs I think there is a certain amount of truth that um, some jobs will be automated away but there's also a huge opportunity in artificial intelligence and and really it's that I'm interested in the book. It's a more hopeful book than a lot of these uh, these cries of uh, it's the end for human beings. I don't believe that in for one minute. I, that's worthwhile pointing out that your book talks about the opportunity rather than just the problem. And again, you expand on where AI is in our lives. And it scared me because you talk about, I think the phrase you use is that AI is going for the white collar worker jobs. And that's kind of us. Now, I, I don't imagine a robot standing up in front of a crowd and doing a, a plenary, but you never know, do you? But I think that's the point you make really well, is that it's what we do with it rather than how we sit here and worrying about it that, that's the key. Yes, and, and you know, I would point out, Chris, that I'm not saying that artificial intelligence won't take some jobs. It, it, it's already in the process of doing that and will continue to do so. And I think if... If you ask yourself, look at the job that you do and ask, how complex is this job? How much emotion and passion and human skills does it need? You can start to understand how likely it is to be automated. Because I think if you can write down all the keystrokes, all the things that you do in a particular job, and you can say, well, that can be replicated. And we can take the data from the way I do it and the way millions of other people do it that will probably be automated at some point in the next five to 10 years. So anything that's really algorithmic, uh, anything that's really, really repetitious or routine will be probably automated. But that leaves a huge amount of jobs. And I, I think we should get away from talking about jobs and start talking about tasks within jobs. Because what AI will do to all jobs, not just those that will be automated, it will cheese slice away these routine and repetitious tasks because it simply does it better. And if something can do something a lot better and a lot more cheaply, well, economics will dictate that businesses will use it, especially in the sort of times we are now where we are in a period of cost cutting, which will go on for quite some time. Uh, and so... What you need to look at it is look at your job and say, what will be taken by, by AI and delivered by that? But what does that leave for me? And how can I be better at it? The phrase I was once heard was intelligent cost cutting, but I guess this is just in, intelligent task removal. And, and I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the old 1980s video players where you had to spend half an hour programming it to record Saturday night TV. And now all technology has done is actually changed the paradigm so much that you don't need to record full stop. And I guess that's, you've still got the entertainment and the enjoyment bit, but you're taking out the bits that we don't need or want or like. 
Yeah, and that's the positive side of AI that, you know, have we got enough nurses and security staff and police officers and all these absolutely vital roles that we're seeing in the coronavirus epidemic uh, that are so vital? Have we got enough of those people? No, we, we, we have we have shortages. So if we can automate some of the dumb stuff we do, some of the stuff that's really not human required that's not value adding it leaves a huge swathe of activities that require things that computers are not good at and just to be clear the generation of ai we're facing is not the matrix <laughs> it, it's it, it's not it's not that it's just not that intelligence the technologists call it artificial narrow intelligence it's good at very very specific tasks and it does those Brilliantly, we are already seeing AI being able to replicate human voices and start to book appointments for you, for example, in that famous clip from Googleplex. But then if you go on from that, the complex stuff is what we do best. So if you, if you want to summarize it, um, machines do narrow. We do broad. We do complex. We do integrated. We do things that require curiosity, asking the next question, not solving the last question integrating and connecting the dots between different domains of knowledge to come up with new ideas, connecting with our fellow human beings, caring for them, caring for our future and our ideas, and collaborating with each other. All of these things are really messy, and machines are not good at messy, or at least they're not good at it now and won't be for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. <laughs> what a great thing to think about, that actually what we often say is a big problem is is for us a, a unique advantage that if we're messy we're ahead of the curve i'm going to use that next time i get told off for being messy that actually i am winning in terms of the ai stakes but i, I you're right and just thinking about it i i've had the privilege of driving a tesla a few times and putting tesla onto autopilot is a terrifying thing because the, the car there's so much the car doesn't know and cannot think laterally around it is seat of the pants stuff because it's good at one thing, which is looking at cars. It's not good at thinking around all the other stuff. Well, um, autonomous driving is a really good example of it because obviously there are levels of autonomous driving. And, you know, this is not legal in our country now, but it's uh, likely that I think uh, autonomous driving will be made legal soon in our country. And that will probably happen first. Um, far more predictable environments such as motorways where there's a, a speed limit there are strict lines where you're going even though you're going fast it's a quite a predictable environment i think it's a very long time until autonomous vehicles which are of course powered by ai can take on the uh, the, the narrow streets in london or the narrow streets in milan where all sorts of completely random and strange events are taking yeah. place all the time it can't cope with that. That's where we can cope because we have common sense. We have general understanding. We can take one rule that we used earlier in our life and apply it to a completely brand new situation. We can do it instantly. We are quite amazing. You know, if you think about some of the skills that we underrate, that uh, organizations traditionally underrate, uh, you know, I've come up through the 80s and 90s and noughties. And during that period, analytical thinking, being bright on that level, has been really rated as a skill that is going down because AI can do that and it can do it far better than we can. The skills that we 
undervalues, such as empathizing with people, such as connecting, as I say, connecting the dots for creativity. These are things that computers don't do as well. And I think what will happen is these capabilities will start to rise up the hierarchy of skills that's required by organizations. And, and don't take my word for it. It's not just me being a crazy John the Baptist figure here about this. <laughs> there is a lot of very, very good data, one of which from a former client of mine, the World Economic Forum, that did a huge survey of C-level executives and asked them what the skills were. And creativity is now in the top three. It's the first time ever it's seen on the same terms as this kind of analytical thinking and problem solving. People like Daniel Goldman, who has been banging the drum for emotional intelligence for the best part of 30 years now, must be very heartwarmed to, to see what's happening in terms of this because his proposition right at the start was that the skills we need to focus on are not the ones that we are right now. And you do hear lots more stories now of organisations disregarding degrees and disregarding experience and looking more at the person in front of them and what skills they've got that are diff unique and different. Change doesn't happen in a straight line or at the same pace. So what we're seeing right now in the early part of 2020 is that the sort of trends that you were just alluding to, so the idea that EQ matters as much as IQ, that technology will take certain jobs and automate uh, certain areas of business, they're being accelerated at a speed that simply wasn't true three or four months ago. So we are, we, you know, I think even before this happened, we were in a time of what I've called for, for many years, accelerating change. So the change is not only there, it's, it's increasing. But I think, you know, what's happened with the COVID-19 virus is uh, the whole world put its foot on the accelerator. So we're going to come out of this with things that we already saw before, uh, virtual working uh, re-looking at what really needs to take face-to-face. -face. Do we need to travel across the world? And it's going to be vastly different as we get towards the end of this year than it was at the start. I'm just going to pick up something you said earlier, and I think it's, this is worthwhile bringing into what you're saying now. And You talk about the predictable environment and how AI really excels in that environment but doesn't elsewhere. And the last few months have been anything but predictable and that acceleration, I think you, I agree, is absolutely accelerated around some areas. But what are you seeing in terms of how AI is supporting beyond the technology around connecting people and around helping people manage process? Well, I, I think anyone who tells you right now they know exactly where the world of work is going <laughs> technology is probably slightly exaggerating their ability to forecast or they've got uh, something to sell you <laughs> i say this with great uh, care because it, it is really difficult to say what's happening but i'll just pick up on the point you just made chris that i think we already saw a lot of the trends that us are happening now i think we're seeing our relationship with our own data is changing. Uh, I was uh, just before the lockdown, I was in Shanghai looking at the innovation, innovation ecosystem that takes place around that city. And the Chinese have a very different relationship with their own data than we have here in the West. I, I see us going more towards the Chinese model where we're prepared to trade our personal data for a level of service. I think, as I've mentioned already in this, you know, in this discussion, I think 
uh, AI automation is going to take a leap forward in all sorts of different areas. And that means the people that are in the workplace and are still in jobs have a big challenge on their hands. They need to look at their own skills and learn as quickly as the world is changing around us. Because I see a great divide from, as I said earlier, I'm interested in the human, the, the impact for humans of technology. And I see a great divide being created between those that I call future ready and those that aren't ready for this future. And so the sort of capabilities make, that make you future ready are that you have the ability to direct your attention and hold focus despite all the distractions of our smartphone world that you understand the why of your job and you can get yourself up and motivated to do that that you are a curious learner on a kind of an everyday type of frequency so you are you are really committed to learning you aren't you don't think you're finished with school and that all all that necessitates that you can be creative it opens the door to creativity so i think those are the sort of trends i'm seeing that automation will continue that we our, our data and our relationship to it is going to change i think we're all going to be a lot freer with our data even though it's going to be couched in by legislation and i think the capabilities that we see in the workplace are changing now and they're changing pretty rapidly just on the data thing and it, it's just something that i saw recently in America, there's been a huge spike in purchases of tracking software. And I guess this is kind of fudging the, the AI versus just the, the, the snooping thing. But do you have an opinion on that, that there's more organizations that are putting in place tools, electronic tools that will monitor and make decisions on people's productivity, but not necessarily on the things that you're describing? I think you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. There are all sorts of AI-enabled technologies, such as you know putting a camera on someone's workbench and finding how far off the ideal you know working practices they are. This goes back to the sort of 1970s, and it's kind of AI-enabled time and motion studies, or uh, uh, viewing someone's face and seeing the emotions there they're experiencing, or indeed checking someone's temperature to see if they've got a virus. Uh, all of those three examples, you could see benefits for business in terms of productivity, but there are problems with invading people's privacy, accelerating inequality. And I think you just have to take these on a case by case basis. I mean, the apps that are some of which are working, the UK one isn't currently, that uses AI to actually work out how the out outbreaks are going in various areas are a classic example. There's a huge social good that if they worked, that you can lower the R rate, the, uh, the reinfection rate for that particular virus. But of course, you have to be very careful about how much data is taken. Is it specific to the person? Can it be followed up by a government that's changed its mind about our freedoms? So you have to take it on a case by case basis and then really get into the detail of what's been done. So there's not, I'm afraid, Chris, for my view, a simple answer to should we do it should we not do it it's to what degree we do it and what are the applications and what does it mean in each of those applications so it, it's the adult responsibility i guess in terms of it's there it's how you apply it it's it's not necessarily a good or a bad tool it's what you do with it really that matters as i said at the start this is an incredibly powerful technological tool so just 
like any tool like that, nuclear energy, electricity, steam, it's going to have, there are going to be winners and losers, uh, in, economically speaking. And there also are going to be negative and positive externalities of, of applying that technology. So that just means there needs to be a really clear, educated and informed debate between the general public and governments and business what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I think we have to be, go I'm fingers crossed, we're going into that kind of era and where there is a grown-up discussion about using this for good. We, we talked earlier about the applications of technology in healthcare. And of course, healthcare is the front of everyone's mind right now. We're seeing things that have been on the agenda, as far as I can see, I'm not a healthcare expert, but from an external observers point of view that, that have been on the agenda for many many years and suddenly they've just happened you know you can get a, a consultation with your gp via video you when you walk in instead of pressing those screens which by the way i've said for a long time why would you press a screen <laughs> that actually has everybody yeah. sit in your local area pressing i'm with so you I'm on that <laughs> for many years those are now closed down and they've tape all over them all the things that actually should have happened are happening really rapidly. And that's a good thing, yeah. in my view. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, particularly on the touch screen, because of the number of people that touch it every day. Uh, so actually, some of this distancing stuff is probably helping us keep healthier. Now, I, you mentioned earlier leadership, and you briefly touched on some of the, the approaches they're taking. Thinking about this, and right now, we're seeing a lot of leaders that are stressed, they're busy, they're burning out because there's so much on their plate and AI and the technology that, that's at their fingertips is just one component of that. But what is the sensible advice that you're giving leaders right now around the use of AI and the, the future benefits and, and things to watch for? Well, in terms of uh, advising leaders on technology, even though I wrote about AI in the book, I don't generally advise them on the application of AI because obviously I'm not I'm not an expert in in the applications of that apart from when I discuss that with the leaders that I work with and I'm generally I'm working with them on their behaviors the idea is to apply AI sensibly and in very very narrow domains that that seems to be the rule of thumb if you if you just think well, let's just put some AI onto that and tick. We, we will get a win. I think a lot of people have come very unstuck with that. It has, it has to be like all applications of technology, going back to CRM and databases and outsourcing. The devil's in the detail, and you really need to make sure that you've got it delivering on a particular area that you want to deliver on. I think that, as we said, I think that's going to accelerate now because people are trying to cut costs, and it's an extra it's an incredible cost-cutting tool when it's used right. I think part of technology I'm really interested in, in terms of leadership, is this idea of connecting with people virtually, uh, which has got an AI component, but it's much more about video technology and, and broadband technology. And so I'm advising a lot of leaders on the impact they're making on their teams and their people, because it's really amazing. There are so many really powerful very senior leaders who absolutely have no idea of how to use this technology to really do their job they're so used to you know big rooms full of people meeting people face to face and you often see i don't know if you've seen this chris but i've seen ceos address their top 100 
leaders and it looks like they've been kidnapped by some terrorists <laughs> and kept in the basement and sort of made to deliver their message in a deliberately humiliating angle with a with a camera up their nose and their face <laughs> and today's in paper in front of them uh, and and some really embarrassing things on the wall behind them there's some really basic hygiene factors of communication and making an online impact that people really need to pick up very rapidly or they'll fall behind. And it's really interesting for me because as a former television journalist and now as a keynote speaker and as a writer, I'm in, a, in quite a unique position to help people to really reflect how am I coming across in this Zoom call or in this uh, online seminar. It reminds me of one of the things I always ponder on is what is the breakpoint that that sees people disconnect from technology? And the reason I think that is I look at, at my parents and my grandparents and their absolute fear of tech. And I think at some point they would have been the early adopters and they would have been using things far beyond anyone else. And they slowly seem to move away from tech or lose that appetite to engage with it. And I guess that's becoming less. But there seems to be a point, like you say, with particularly the more mature CEOs and leaders where for them the tech's scary rather than complementary. I think that happens in our lives, doesn't it? We, we go through life and uh, what's made us successful to, to that point in our life is what we trust. And then when things change, it's more and more difficult to adopt the new tools, the new techniques. Mm. But it is possible. You know, you, you, you can reflect on that. And I know people in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s uh, that are perfectly open to new ideas. I think... That idea of being curious about the world, about what's new, is an attitude and a skill that you can reflect on and you can develop. And it, it's actually a main point of the curiosity chapters in The Human Edge. How do you stay curious yeah. in order to keep learning, not just about technology, but about everything? We're, we're facing a world that is being disrupted, not just currently by COVID-19, but uh, ongoing by technology which i argue ai is in the vanguard of that but also by new generations uh, with new attitudes there's huge societal change we're seeing now with black lives matter with that all being accelerated we're facing our relationship with technology changing through our smartphones people are more and more are seeing that those are addictive and have a dark side as well as a light side all this is a kind of a maelstrom of ongoing waves of change and i think if there's one meta skill that uh is sort of unpacked in my book it's the ability to reflect on what you need to unlearn as well as you need to learn so you need to unlearn old ways of doing things and learn new things and at the heart of that the way to unlock that is your human curiosity i think as well you mentioned the word trust for me that's a very important factor that to do all of your saying you need to trust that you're going to be supported or you're going to safe through doing that as well that a lot of the things the responses to technology that are negative is because people just do not trust either its intent or what it will lead them to yes and that and that's about leadership yeah absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's about leadership and communication and uh, having a narrative and a uh, history with your people because there is going to be huge battles fought uh, in the in the coming 12 months around that around what happens with this ai automation and that that you know that plays into a lot of things we've talked about chris actually the ability to communicate the ability to engage online the ability to be 
authentic and honest and reveal what's really happening in a skillful way to to increase trust in an organization because one, one thing that's absolutely certain i talk about in the book about uh the um the four c's of consciousness curiosity creativity and collaboration all of these things are drastically lowered if there's there's not the right environment and an environment that's conducive to that because people bring these as a voluntary measure yeah, in many ways leadership in the 21st century is a gift economy you're asking people to give their gifts to you for free because actually payment doesn't you know over a certain level doesn't really change the game they need to feel they're in a trusting environment in a safe environment one in which they won't be punished if things go a little bit wrong because creativity kind of implies there may be a failure some yeah. at some we're not it's not always going to work so i think trust is a really really important word Brilliant. I think that's probably a good final point to end on in terms of some advice moving forwards for this. But before we go, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna plug the book for you again because I, the way you bring the stories to life and your use of examples. At one point, you had me in a carriage with Mozart going down a rainy street. You brought in so many perspectives. I absolutely loved it, and so did the critics, didn't they? Because you recently it was awarded Business Book of the Year. Is that right? Yes, in, in March, in a, in a very strange evening, it, it won Business Book of the Year 2020. And an hour later, Boris Johnson uh, uh, created lockdown in the UK. So <laughs> Are we linking the two here? Is it? <laughs> uh, I don't think they were linked, but uh, it was a very strange evening because it was supposed to take place at a big uh, kind of posh black do, black tie do in London. As it was, it was a Facebook Live event. But that has been hugely uh, satisfying that... It went through, there were about 140 books with some real household name authors in that competition. And it not only won its category, but then went on to win the whole competition, which has been really a real game changer for the book and the number of people reading it and who have got access to it. So I'm very happy about that. Well, it richly deserved. So last question then. So what's book three going to be about? Because you can't stop at two now. Ah, oh, well, I don't know. It's, it's what, what's interesting to me. I talk in the book about curious conversations and, and creative conversations such as the one we've had. And it will emerge from one of those. Uh, I, I'm having amazing connections with the people who have read the book and, and are speaking to me about the parts of it which speak to them the loudest, which they find have changed their life the most. And it's always quite strange when you've created something that's quite big like a book that's got quite a few different ideas in it you never know which are the bits that will really uh, resound with people will will really they find memorable and powerful so it's from those conversations i generally get my idea for the next one although right now i don't have it so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in that kind of period between well we will... just make sure you avoid what everyone else seems to be doing and writing a book on how to make sourdough bread <laughs> so, Greg, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the um, the Business Book of the Year Award. I do think you deserve it. And hopefully if you do create the, the third book, it would be lovely to talk to you again about what you put in that. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.com culturebuilders.com